the king enters his city while the crowds debate who he is and why he's come. But with the approach of some Greeks, Jesus' ministry shifts to a new phase. On The Bible Brief. We're approaching the end of the year, and we'd love for you to pray and consider supporting the Bible Literacy Foundation. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, and anything you give is deductible in the United States. Please consider joining our mission of helping the church and the curious learn the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Give today at BibleLit.org or at our link in the show notes. From the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the cistern in which there is no water. Preparations are being made. The sacrificial offering is being prepared. The time has come. The time of the Passover has come upon the city of Jerusalem, and everyone is getting ready. People from all over Judea and even further away have journeyed to Jerusalem for this event, and the city is buzzing with activity. Lambs are being bought and sold. Tables are being set, and the flurry of duties are being carried out before the great feast day later this week. This Passover is commemorating nothing less than perhaps the most impactful event in the history of Israel. An event in the midst of the signs and wonders performed by God through Moses to that Egyptian pharaoh long ago. In that first Passover, God had commanded the people of Israel to kill a lamb for each household, roast the lamb, and spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the doorframe of each house. Later that night, the Lord passed through the land of Egypt and any house that didn't have the blood of the lamb would be subjected to death, death of the firstborn of that household. This Passover event then became the final straw that broke the Egyptian pharaoh's back before the great exodus of the people of Israel out of their Egyptian slavery. God had commanded that all generations of Israelites remember this Passover by celebrating the Passover feast year after year. And now, As preparations are being made in Jerusalem, the feast is imminent. But on this particular week, the city isn't only buzzing about the Passover. It's also an intense conversation regarding the identity of this teacher from Galilee coming to Jerusalem for the feast. They had heard that the man was in Bethany, only a few miles from Jerusalem, and that he was coming into the city. During his ministry, he'd only been to Jerusalem a few times before, but this time was different. This time, the Passover visit of Jesus would end like that first Passover. It would end with blood. Many of the crowd thought that this Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah, the one who would come with a sword to defeat their enemies and reign over them forever. They believed him to be the son of David, so long anticipated by the prophets and generations of old. 
and it was these people who came to greet Jesus at the gate of the city. People in the crowd spread their cloaks along the road and took palm branches in their hands as they prepared to look upon their Savior. And soon after he came into view, the shouting began. Shouts of joy saying, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna in the highest. The atmosphere was electric with anticipation, but surely more than a few noticed the state in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Oddly enough, he wasn't on a chariot. He was on a donkey. Certainly not the first choice of one who would wage war on the Romans. But that didn't matter. The crowd was here because they'd heard of his amazing power. A power so amazing that he had even raised a man from the dead. A man dead for four days had been commanded by Jesus to come out of his tomb, and that man Lazarus was still alive and breathing. None could do this except by the power of God. In the background, however, there were other onlookers. Some were questioning the significance of this visitor. Others were explaining that he was merely a prophet from Nazareth. Still others had hope in who appeared to be the Messiah but surely very few were indifferent to the man. The crowds around him were massive, and his very presence brought a new tension to the city as they made their feast preparations. One of the more significant reactions to Jesus was from the religious leadership in the city. Their response to the man was a mixture of jealousy, curiosity, and animosity. To the Jewish Pharisees, Jesus had directed words of hostility to their traditions, and their way of following the teaching of Moses. To the Jewish Sadducees, he insisted that a future resurrection was a real event that people should anticipate. Jesus, this teacher, was a threat to these leaders, even if he did so many miracles before the crowds. He was a threat to their power and a threat to their authority. And a few of these leaders had already begun a plot to put this Jesus challenge to rest. Finally, however, there was one other group that reacted to Jesus, a group on the fringes of most of the Bible story, but significant in many respects. This final group was composed of Gentiles, that is, people from nations outside of Israel. Throughout the Gospels, Gentiles from various nations had interactions with Jesus, but Jesus specifically indicates that his current mission is not to them even as he still has compassion on them. In perhaps the most stark scene, a Canaanite Gentile woman had come up to Jesus and said this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In this event and many others, 
Jesus clearly indicated that his mission was to Israel at this point and not to the nations. He had come to Israel to accomplish his purpose and to call people to faith in him, but Gentiles were not part of the mission yet. Even so, it's a common theme throughout Jesus' ministry that the Gentiles are often expressing a greater faith than even the Jews in this Messiah that had come. The dullness of the hearts of the Jews was being contrasted by the receptivity of Gentiles to whom Jesus hadn't even come. Now, this is especially important because of the turning point that occurs in Jesus' ministry almost immediately after this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus has been welcomed into the city. He's been acclaimed as the son of David and the king of Israel, and he's caused commotion in the city among all the people. Yet the turning point in his ministry happens right when Gentiles show up in Jerusalem who want to talk to Jesus. For some reason, this is the signal Jesus uses to speak of the shift in his ministry. We read this in John chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip the disciple and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You can imagine the surprise of Andrew and Philip when they tell Jesus that some Gentiles want to speak with him. And instead of addressing these Greeks or asking why or anything seemingly related to these Gentiles, he starts off a significant speech with this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, Jesus had spent his entire ministry so far telling people that his time had not yet come, the hour had not yet come, and so on and so forth. But it's in this moment that he says his hour has come. Then Jesus proceeds to speak in something like a parable, saying that a grain of wheat must fall to the earth and die before it can bear fruit. With this language, it's as if Jesus' whole focus has shifted to what's coming next for him. Jesus is the grain of wheat that must die to bear fruit. Then Jesus continues, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In this amazing moment of confirmation, Jesus revealed his troubled soul at what's to come for him, but also the purpose behind his mission. 
He wants the Father to glorify Himself through God the Son. And the voice from heaven speaks again, just like at the baptism of Jesus, to confirm this second part of Jesus' ministry. And the voice is misunderstood by this largely Jewish crowd. But notice the last part of what Jesus says here. He says that something is happening and about to happen. The ruler of this world, Satan, is being cast out. And when Jesus is lifted up from the earth in death, he will draw all people to himself. This is the connection to the Greeks that approached. Formerly, Jesus had said to the Gentiles that he was only sent to the house of Israel. But after he is lifted up, the mission expands to all people of all nations from everywhere, these Greeks included. This next week would cause a monumental shift on the world stage. The Bible story, so long about the Jewish people, is about to expand once again. Somehow, through the ordeal to come, Jesus is going to cause a new era, not merely for the Jewish people, but for people of all nations. This crowd before him, however, is still doubting, especially since Jesus has just indicated something of his death. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. This entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem and the events soon after mark a shift for Jesus and a shift for the world. The king is welcomed by many, questioned by others, scorned by the leaders, and yet sought by the Gentiles. And in this, Jesus sees that the culmination of his mission is approaching. His soul is troubled, and he knows that he's going to be lifted up in death. But even in all this, he yet reaches out to those Jews of dull heart. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And yet, though he had done so many signs and wonders before his own people, they still largely don't believe. The shift has happened, and now fateful events begin to unfold. Events that will change the world. The lamb is being prepared. The table is set. And soon blood will be spilled. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023